Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. Speaking of the CanMed conference, CanMed 24 returns to the JW Marriott Resort in Marco Island, Florida, May 12th through 15th, and registration opens October 6th. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from and network with the industry's top researchers and innovators in one of the most beautiful settings possible. We have a lot of exciting new additions to the summit format that we will be announcing soon, but really there's no reason to wait to register for the CanMed 24 Innovation and Investment Summit. You wanna make sure you secure your spot soon because capacity is limited at the venue and we are expecting to sell out. So act now and take advantage of our early bird pricing. Go to camedevents.com to learn more. My guest today is Mitchell Westmoreland. Mitch is a PhD candidate working for Dr. Bruce Bugby in the Crop Physiology Laboratory at Utah State University. His PhD research focuses on whole plant physiology and cultivation of medicinal cannabis in controlled environments. He has published his research on photobiology and plant nutrition in high-impact peer-reviewed scientific journals. I spoke with Mitch about the various environmental factors that contribute to cannabis yield, specifically light, temperature, humidity, and CO2. Mitch does a great job explaining the energy cascade, which is a way of describing the underlying mechanisms that plants use to convert photons to energy and ultimately biomass. Mitch also explains how these factors can be manipulated to not only increase yield, but also make better use of resources. I really enjoyed this conversation and I expect we will see Mitchell on the CanMed stage very soon. Before we get to my conversation with Mitch, I would like to thank this episode's sponsor, Advanced Nutrients. Founded in 1999, Advanced Nutrients was the first to develop a complete nutrient system that unlocks the true genetic potential of the cannabis plant. Since its inception, the brand has introduced more than 50 innovations to the cultivation community and continues to revolutionize the space through proprietary scientific discoveries. Learn more at advancednutrients.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Mitchell Westmoreland. Good morning, Mitch. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Happy to be on here. All right. So today we are going to explore the different factors that contribute to cannabis yield. Um, and I know you are a good person to talk to because you've done a lot of research into these factors. And you recently presented some of your work at the cannabis conference out in Nevada, which is what got you on my radar. So I expect we'll have a good conversation about these factors and how they contribute. But yep. before we do that, I think it might be wise to establish what we mean by yield, because I think sometimes, and at least in my mind, the term gets used interchangeably when talking about 
biomass or the amount of flour the plant produces and cannabinoid concentration. So maybe when, when you're talking about yield, um, which of those are you talking about, if not both? Yeah, I mean, with any crop plant, when we talk about yield, we're talking about the harvestable part of the plant, right? So for tomatoes, it's the tomatoes. For wheat, it's the seeds. And so for cannabis, medical cannabis, it's the flowers. Um, now that sort of, you know, depends. There's a lot of, it depends in the, in the cannabis world. If you're going for extraction, you might be using all that biomass. But generally, when we talk about yield, we're talking about the mass of flowers. And in my mind, one of the, the bigger issues is all of the different metrics that are used in the cannabis industry. So you'll hear things like yield per plant or yield per light, yield per fixture, things like that. And if you've got sort of a standardized plant size or a light source, then that can be useful, useful, but for the most part, um, those don't really tell you a whole lot. Is it a big plant, small plant, high pressure sodium light versus an LED light? Um, and so we can take it, you know, one step further and say yield per area, right? So grams per square foot, pounds per square foot. And that gets us a little bit closer to being able to compare and see how uh, different facilities are functioning. But ultimately, um, you know, even with that yield per area, did it take you eight weeks to get that yield? Did it take you 10 weeks? So there's the time component in there too. And so one thing that we're really trying to push is this uh, concept of photon conversion efficiency. So we're talking about how efficiently a, a crop of cannabis takes the light that it's given and converts it into flowers. And, um, that's kind of what I want to get in today. And we can break up that photon conversion efficiency into smaller components to try and untangle, you know, some of these environmental effects. Um, and then when we're talking about cannabinoid concentration, that's typically what we would call quality. And both of those things are important. Yield or quality, sometimes you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of yield if you can get your cannabinoid concentration a little bit higher. Um, but that's sort of the, the distinction for me. Yield is flower mass. Quality is the, the cannabinoid concentration or the terpene concentration. Yeah, and you make a good point in that it, it sort of is dependent on what your goals are, right? Yep. Because... In some cases, if you're if you're looking to extract the cannabinoids, then I guess the yield would be the amount of cannabinoids contained in the flower. Exactly. Yeah, the cannabinoid yield. And so, yeah, as with everything, and I'm a scientist, so I'm, I'm really hesitant to speak in absolute, but it it always depends. You know, what is what is your goal? What capabilities do you have? What are your limitations? And ultimately, what are you striving for? Um, so there, there's a lot of depends in there for sure. Yeah. Okay. And so now you made reference to sort of this idea of how well the plant converts the photons into actual flower and that there's a number of different mechanisms that contribute to that. So, so let's dive in. Let's, let's, let's talk about those. Yeah. So, you know, cannabis has just recently been started to be studied, right? It's been illegal for so long, but now research institutions are starting to get on board. And, you know, all what you'll hear all the time is we don't know anything about this plant because we haven't been able to study it. And to some extent, that's true. But at the same time, it's, it's just a plant. Right. And so we know 
based on decades of research in other crops, what the basic nutritional needs are, how they respond to CO2, irrigation, water stress, things like that. And so optimizing all of those things isn't necessarily difficult. Once you get all of the environmental factors optimized, nutrition, CO2, watering, light becomes the limiting factor for growth. And what's remarkable about cannabis, and we'll get into this a little bit more, it can hog a lot of light. It really likes exceptionally high light. Um, but with that sort of perspective, nothing else is limiting other than photons. How do we efficiently convert those photons into flowers, which is ultimately what we're going to harvest, right? And so the very first thing that, that needs to happen, and again, at this point, we're considering a canopy, a big uh, community of cannabis plants rather than a single leaf or a single plant. The very first thing that canopy has to do is absorb those photons, right? You've got a small plant that's not taking up the entire ground area. There's photons that are just hitting the floor and those aren't driving growth, right? Mm. So the very first step is capture those photons. And we'll talk a little bit about how the environment uh, can influence that here in a little bit. But once we've captured those photons, some of them are going to be absorbed by non-photosynthetic pigments like anthocyanins, things like that. Some of them get reflected, right? We see the plants, they're green. Um, and so the next step is how efficiently do we take those photons and use them to drive photosynthesis to fix CO2 from the atmosphere? So step two is photosynthetic efficiency. Now, the next one is, you know, sometimes I'll... Um, mention this in talks and sometimes I won't, uh, but the next one is carbon use efficiency. This isn't a very uh, well-known metric, but once the plants fix that carbon through CO2, some of it's going to be respired again as CO2, right? They've got to make DNA, they've got to make proteins. Uh, so the, the, the carbon use efficiency, this one's really hard to change with the environment. It's, it's remarkably consistent across species and environmental conditions, the plants will respire in proportion to how much CO2 they fix through photosynthesis. The last one is um, one that can be heavily influenced by uh, the environment. And this is sort of the last component that gets us to yield. And that's carbon partitioning efficiency or harvest index. So how much of that carbon that's fixed and stored in biomass is put into the flowers. That's ultimately what we're what we're interested in. Um, so what's what's great about these four components, and we call it the energy cascade model, is we're following the energy from the photons all the way down into the flowers. These are all efficiencies. So it's an input over an output, or an output mm -hmm. over an input, right? Um, and then you know, with a little bit of behind the scenes math and some units conversions, we can multiply all of these values together and get that photon conversion efficiency. And that has units of grams of flour per mole of photons. You know, everybody measures their PPFD in micromole per meter squared per second. And I think most people are familiar with the concept of daily light integral, which is the total amount of light that's received. Um, over the course of a day. And um, that's ultimately how we how we arrive at that value. 
what's great about this is it doesn't matter how long you grew the crop. crop. It doesn't matter if it was 10,000 square feet or 100,000 square feet. This sort of normalizes all of that. And we could start to compare across facilities and how efficiently they're using the light to make the flowers. So if I understand correctly, what you're really driving at is to be able to say, okay, if your input of light is X, you would expect at the end to get an output of Y, correct? Exactly, exactly. And you know, what's that, that's a great point because when we arrive at this photon conversion efficiency grams per mole, we can take, you know, whatever DLI we plan to input and multiply it by that value to get the expected yield, the theoretical yield. So we can start to uh, sort of put numbers to these. Now, the, you know, I know that photon conversion efficiency isn't a very well-known um, metric, but I'll just, to give you some perspective, for cannabis, we typically see something between 0.2 and 0.3 grams per mole. And then again, with some, with some math and some units conversions, you can take a, a DLI input and predict what your yield should be in grams per square meter or grams per square foot. Right. And so then if, if by the end, your output isn't what you expected, you could sort of trace things back and kind of see where your kind of leakage was. Exactly. You can go back to those four components, you know, and say, was my photon capture low? Was the photosynthetic efficiency low? Um, or was there something else limiting, like water or nutrients or CO2, something like that? But it's a, it's, a, it's a really elegant model, um, mostly for its simplicity. You know, it's kind of hard to talk about. I wish I had a whiteboard so I could go through it and show the units. Um, but it's it's a very simple way for us to start to understand how the environment influences yield. And ultimately, if there is an effect of the environment on yield, it has to come back to one of those four components. Was it mm. photon capture, photosynthetic efficiency? And so once you have that, once you have a good understanding of that, you can sort of get away from all of the snake oil claims that, you know, this product is going to boost your yield by 40%, you know, uh, on and on. And you can ask yourself, okay, well, which of these four components is this product actually affecting? Hmm. Now, I have to imagine that genetics play a big role in this too, right? With the, all the different strains, they're going to sort of have different uh, different roles to play. Big time. And, and with the with the genetics, you know, the, the two components that it's most likely to influence is the photon capture efficiency, right? Is mm -hmm. it a plant that sort of spread, spreads out horizontally to capture more light or is it more of a, a tall, slender growth habit? Does it have thick leaves or, or, or thin leaves? Um, that can have big effects on how efficiently that crop is absorbing that light. Um, and then the other one is carbon partitioning efficiency. You know, some varieties just put more of that uh, carbon that they fix into flowers. Some of them don't make a whole lot of leaves and stems. Uh, hmm. On the other hand, some of them make a whole lot of leaves and stems. And that's not what we're necessarily interested in when we're talking about high value medical cannabis. 
Interesting. Okay, the other so, two, uh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. The other no. two are really fundamentally um, limited by physiology, and they're well understood at the at the basic biology level. Um, genetics aren't going to have a huge effect on those. Interesting. Okay, so so let's talk about environment. How is the environment affecting sort of these different underlying mechanisms? And I mean, I know that's sort of broad, so. Uh, maybe you know you could you could start with you know light or or whichever yeah. one you think yeah let's let's start with light um and when we're thinking about light and you sort of uh hinted at this earlier there's sort of three characteristics that we're interested in the, the quality or the spectrum the color of the lights mm. the quantity of the light or the intensity and then there's also the duration or the photo period and, you know, I'll just kind of pick out some of the, the highlights. Let's start with light quality. So the colors of lights. Um, photon capture, uh, spectral quality can have a big effect on photon capture. And I think people are starting to, to get a lot more of this. But especially far red light um, has received a lot of attention over the, over the last few years. Uh, but it's well known to cause leaf expansion and um, increase photon capture. Unfortunately, you also get a lot of stem elongation along with it. Um, so for cannabis, it's not often used for this purpose, but for things like lettuce, it's extremely valuable to give them some far red light so they expand and capture that light faster. Um, green light is an interesting one that's also starting to get some more recognition. You know, people typically think that green light isn't used by plants. We see that they're green, so they don't absorb any of it, um, which is not, in fact, true. They do absorb and use green light for photosynthesis. And one of the valuable things uh, about green light is it can penetrate deeper into the canopy, whereas red and blue light tends to get absorbed on the outside. And you have a whole bunch of stuff in the middle that's not getting uh that's not capturing any light. And so those green photons can penetrate deeper and uh, increase that photon capture a little bit. Um, those are sort of the, the big ones with light quality. You know, in terms of photosynthetic efficiency, there's some uh, small effects for the most part. If you've ever heard of the McCree curve, it's often cited as, you know, the, the relative photosynthetic efficiency of different colors, um, but under high light intensity, that tends to be a pretty minor, minor effect. Um, and then going on to quantity, uh, this one's this one's uh, an interesting one, um, and it's kind of counterintuitive when we start to think about photon conversion efficiency. Um, so if we if we think about the photosynthetic efficiency, so how much of those absorbed photons are the plants putting into uh, photosynthesis to fix carbon? And, you know, if I were to say to you, you know, if I give my plant more light, what's going to happen to yield? The obvious answer is the yield is going to wow. go up, right? But when we think about the efficiency with which they're converting that light, it actually goes down with increasing light intensity. And the analogy that I like to use is imagine you're drinking from a faucet, right? you're gonna get most of the water that's coming out of that faucet, right? You can get your mouth right on it. Now imagine you got a fire hose up to your mouth. The quantity is way larger and you might be getting more on an absolute basis, 
but you're also wasting a whole lot, mm. right? So the efficiency with which you're ingesting that water goes down. So that's the same for photosynthetic efficiency. You're just dumping light on the plants. And so the efficiency goes down. So there's then, a sweet spot. So there's a sweet spot there. You well, want to be again, giving it enough to to generate big flowers, but you don't want to be wasteful. Well, it, again, it comes down to to what is your goal. Do you want to maximize your yield per square foot or your yield per area? Dump the light on there because that's going to keep going up and up and up. Um, if you're interested in maximizing the efficiency, if you've got to pay for those photons, for example, right. under electric lights, you might. Uh, try and find a sweet spot where uh, you're not wasting too much, but you're still getting high enough yield per square foot to to reach your goals. So again, it it depends. Um, and then the photo period, you know, this is something that's starting to be increasingly studied in cannabis, but right now, um, most people still do the the twelve twelve. Although there's been some nice papers that have been coming out um, that is sort of starting to challenge that concept. But really, this this has the biggest effect on carbon partitioning, right? Once we give those plants a short day, whether it's 12, 12, 13, 11, they're going to start shifting that carbon into flowers. Maybe if we go less than 12 hours, we might be shifting more of that carbon into the flowers, right? Right. And, and, so then, sa and then saving on those photons too, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and I'll, I'll circle back kind of the to light quantity really quick, you know, ultimately what's driving growth is the daily light integral, the total amount of photons that are falling every single day. You know, we're out here in, in Utah in the Western United States, we don't get a lot of rain, um, but when we do, we're not interested in how many raindrops are falling every single second. We wanna know how much we've got over the course of the day, over the week, or over the entire year. Um, and so, if you've got a variety that will still flower under a longer photo period, you can give the plants a lower light intensity, a lower PPFD for a longer period of time and get the same DLI, but the photosynthetic efficiency is going to be higher because they're under a lower uh, light intensity. They're drinking from a faucet rather than a fire hose. Mm. So I think there's a lot of potential to start breeding for and selecting varieties that flower under a longer photo period. And we've got the, you know, the auto flowers and things like that. Uh, but I think there's a lot of potential there to, to optimize both yield per area as well as the efficiency, the yield efficiency. Um, so those are kind of the, the big ones with light. Um, light is kind of the sexiest of all the environmental factors right now, light and nutrition. Um, but, you know, generally what we say is if you want to get high yields, give them high light. And at that point, spectral quality has a, has a really small effect on especially yield, but also cannabinoids and quality. No, and you make a good point that light is, you know, one of the more, more popular, more well-known uh, of these factors. But with that said, are there sort of misconceptions or sort of maybe false narratives that are out there in terms of light? Uh, I think most of those come down to, to quality, to cannabinoid concentration. Um, you know, the one that's sort of persisted since the 1980s is this idea of UV 
um, and, and we published a paper earlier this year, and there's, there's been some other papers that have come out of uh, University of Guelph that have really not shown, not been able to repeat the, the initial results that found that UV increased cannabinoids. Um, and so I think I think people are starting to get on board with that and starting to ditch the idea that, that UV is the magic bullet to, to give your plants, you know, high cannabinoids. That's that's sort of the biggest one. I, I, I just think, generally speaking, spectral quality gets too much focus and light intensity doesn't. You know, what we always recommend is get a light source that is, if you're growing under electric lights, get a light source that's super efficient, gives you a lot of photons for not a lot of energy, and a light source that gives you a high output, a high photon output. Don't worry about the spectral quality so much. You should really be focused on electrical efficiency and uh, that, that photon conversion efficiency. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that too. I mean, I've I've dabbled with kind of home cultivation a little bit, and I've definitely walked the floors of different trade shows and everything. And when you look at the light, uh, the different light manufacturers, it seems like they really focus in on the sort of spectral quality. They have the graphs and everything like that. But you're, you're saying that's not as important as just the amount of photons that they're getting. Yep, and I think I think some of these lighting companies are starting to to see that um, but with the way the cannabis industry is going you know prices are falling people have got to start doing this more efficiently more cost effectively if they want to stay in business and if you're growing under electric lights the, the only way that you're going to do that efficiently is by sourcing an efficient light source that gives you a high photon output you know after that it can maybe be some some small effects on cannabinoids you know, I, I sort of use the analogy of a microscope. If you've ever been in science class, you've got a coarse focus knob and that gets you kind of up and down and close to where you need to be. Then you've got a fine focus knob to kind of dial it in. And that fine mm -hmm. focus knob is sort of the, the spectral quality that can maybe have a small effect, but really uh, that efficiency in the photon output is, is key. Interesting. Yeah, good analogy. Um, so with light too, and something that you mentioned earlier was this idea of broader leaves or plants that sort of spread out and can absorb more light could theoretically, you know, convert more of that into flower. So what about the practice of pruning or lollipopping plants to kind of increase flowers? That seems to be kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, you know, this is another thing that's, that's, really a hot topic in, in cannabis. People love to prune their plants and I get it. I mean, I love to be hands-on with my plants too. Um, I think oftentimes the, the de-leafing is overdone. You know, if you can look underneath your crop of cannabis and you can see light coming through it, that means you're wasting photons, right? But at the same time, if you can kind of pinch and manipulate your plants to encourage them to grow out while still keeping that that sea of green as they call it um you know you can sort of force the plants to capture more of those photons which will end up with with a higher yield right um, the other way you can do that is with planting density you know you see all the time people start out with really small plants that are super uh super spaced so you've got a lot of light there early on that's just falling on the ground so you can give your plants a shorter veg pack them in there, 
prune them and pinch them to keep them short and to sort of fill that canopy, uh, you automatically start out with a higher photon capture. Uh, more of that light is being absorbed, more of it's going into the flowers. Um, so these cultural techniques um, are another way to sort of influence these, these four components. But again, it, it comes down to one of those four components. And for the most part, it's, it's photon capture. Yeah, and the way it was always explained to me was that, you know, you want to get rid of those big fan leaves to get more light to the actual bud sites to grow those. Does that make sense? Or does the plant really care? Or is it just going to kind of convert whatever energy it absorbs from those leaves to to all the flowers? Yeah, I mean, there's emerging evidence that flowers that are lower in the canopy that have been shaded the entire time and have a lower cannabinoid concentration. We've seen it in our lab and I know that other people have seen it too. So I think there is something to delivering light to those flowers in order to, to maximize the cannabinoids. But the, the thing to keep in mind is that you can, you can make sure that you have all of your flowers at the top of the canopy absorbing the light without sacrificing photon capture. And so one of the things that, that we do and a lot of people are, are starting to do is a relatively short veg period and then multiple pinches, even after you know, 10 to 14 days of short days. And again, what that does is spread the canopy out and it promotes fewer but smaller or, or more numerous but smaller flower buds at the top of the canopy that are absorbing mm. the light, you know, a single leaf can absorb like 95% of the photons that hit it. So when you've got flowers that are down low in that canopy, even if the PPFD is, you know, a thousand at the top of the canopy, those plants might only be seeing 50 micromoles at most. And that's just not enough for them to, to sustain themselves. So yes, there is something to it, um, but I, I still think the focus should be on maximizing that photon capture, not removing too many of those fan leaves and just promoting more numerous smaller flower buds at the top of the canopy. Right, that are more spread out. So, yeah. you know, instead of going, you know, three-dimensional vertically, try to keep it all kind of one level spread out. Exactly. Is that right? And I think, yeah, and I think a lot of people do that right now with the with the netting and things like that. Right. And that's that's a fine way to do it. But again, the goal is maximizing that photon capture. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So I guess moving on from light, how about temperature? Yeah, temperature is a big one. Uh, so this is this is sort of the focus of my um, dissertation. And this is one of those things in cannabis that just hasn't been studied. Um, and part of the reason for that, it's really hard to do. In order to do temperature studies, you've got to have separate chambers, separate rooms, separate aerial environments, right? Um, and so we're fortunate at our lab to have some really good facilities, some great growth chambers um, to sort of do these temperature studies. Um, and so the first, you know, if we go back to our four components, uh, photon capture, I think this one's sort of intuitive, you know, as you increase the temperature, the plants grow faster, they absorb more light, um, early on. So high temperature early on is great to increase that photon capture. And, you know, I'll get through these and then we'll talk about this idea of 
changing environmental conditions throughout the life cycle, which you sort of hinted at earlier. Um, but if you, uh, but that high temperature early on is great to, to help uh, increase that photon capture. Now, high temperatures force plants to just move super fast. And what that does is sort of, uh, I don't want to say damage, but it just makes the machinery tired. So at the end of the life cycle, if you keep that temperature hot, the photosynthetic efficiency starts to go down pretty dramatically. The plants are just tired and you're pushing them too hard. Um, hmm. So low temperature late in the life cycle has the potential to keep that photosynthetic efficiency high. The plants are still fixing carbon, still putting it into the flowers. Um, and so, you know, typically what I recommend is high temperatures early on. And what that means is kind of going to depend on what you can do and the varieties that you have. But high temperature until that canopy closes, the plants are absorbing all of the light and then bring that temperature down to preserve that photosynthetic efficiency. Um, hmm. But one of the things that I've seen in, in my studies is that in addition to high temperature increasing photon capture, it helps to uh, promote carbon partitioning to the flowers. So the plants need some base temperature early on in order to set those flowers and to start uh, developing those, those valuable uh, inflorescence. So the, the high temperature early on both increases photon capture and carbon partitioning. Um, and then, you know, one of the other things that I've seen, and I don't think people think about a whole lot, is those flower buds at the top of the canopy are just big, dense clusters of mass. They don't have a lot of evaporative cooling like the leaf does. And so they can get really, really hot, uh, six, seven, eight degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the air temperature. And of all of the environmental factors that I've studied, temperature has the biggest effect on cannabinoid concentration. So we've seen at high temperatures that the cannabinoids just go through the floor. And part of the reason for that is the flower buds are always warmer than air temperature, gender HPS, they can be 10 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the air. So even if you've got a nice, you know, 70, 72 air temperature, the flowers are 82, something like that. Hmm. Um, so the other thing that the low temperature latent life cycle does is help to keep that flower temperature low and, and preserve the, the photosynthetic uh, machinery and the machinery needed to synthesize those cannabinoids. Yeah, and that sort of aligns with sort of the the lore, or at least what I've heard in terms of of growing, is that you want to have low temperatures during flower, and that's going to give you more frosty buds. So that would yeah. be the cannabinoids. Yep, and you get the the nice purple color at the end if you go low enough, right? So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of potential to use temperature and manipulate it throughout the life cycle to achieve whatever goal you wanted achieve um, but in terms of yield again it comes back to those those four components or capture being the biggest one so when you talk about high temperature low temperature i mean what are we talking about in terms of you know the ranges there yeah and this is where people usually get frustrated with me and i get frustrated too because the answer is it depends um, yep. okay you know i've talked to enough scientists to know <laughs> to anticipate that answer 
<laughs> temperature is not only the, the thing that I've seen have a biggest effect on cannabinoids, it's also the thing that I've seen most variable among varieties. So there are some cultivars where the cannabinoids start to plummet at an air temperature of what would that be, 72, 74, something like that. So not terribly hot. Oh. Um, and then there are others that can go up into the 80s and they're, they're just fine. Um, so it, it really depends. But generally what I say, especially if you're interested in maximizing the cannabinoids is air on the cold side rather than the hot side. Because if you go mm. one degree too warm, you might be screwed. If you go one degree too cool, it might not be that big of a deal. Especially during the flowering part, I assume, right? Yeah, especially once those flower buds start to form, they're at the top of the canopy, they're absorbing a lot of energy, a lot of heat, and they just get hot. Yeah, okay. All right, so we talked about heat. What about humidity? You know, this is... I've seen a lot of people talking about, you know, crop steering with VPD and with humidity. And this is another one of those things that in my mind is, is sort of overly focused on in cannabis. Um, the biggest thing that humidity has a, an effect on is disease pressure. Um, you know, once you start to get really crazy and you've got, you know, 20% humidity and 80 degrees Fahrenheit, then things might start to get a, a little bit um, stressful for the plant. But for the most part, humidity has a small effect on growth. Um, now it can have some pretty big indirect effects. And the biggest one is on temperature. So Plants cool themselves by evaporating water, just like we cool ourselves by evaporating sweat. In a humid environment, you know, the, the plants can't transpire as much. They can't cool themselves as much. And so when you've got a high humidity or a low vapor pressure deficit, those flower buds can get even warmer. So the, the biggest effects of humidity are really an indirect effect of temperature um, and you right. know we, we sort of try and look at all of these different environmental factors piece by piece but in reality they're all interact with each other right it's it's not a very simple straightforward thing there's a lot of back and forth um and the the, the back and forth between humidity and temperature i think should be focused on more and less on you know you got to get a vpd of 1.2 for week one and then 1.25 for week three and, and so on. Um, just sort of understanding what effects humidity can have is, is going to get you a lot further than trying to dial it in week by week. Yeah, no, and that makes sense that humidity might not have a direct effect on, on yield, which is the topic of the conversation. But I know from, from our perspective too, medicinal genomics, we, we deal a lot with microbials and plant pathogens. Um, and I know that humidity can play a big role in, you know, particularly mold, Yep. which, yep. which I would imagine if, if the plant's infected with mold, it's, it's going to compromise your yield. Your yield. Yeah. You can't, you can't sell that. <laughs> right. So that's, and that's, that's the biggest thing that humidity, humidity does. So the, the best way to deal with that and ensure that, you know, you're not growing those molds 
is to make sure that you've got good airflow through that canopy to blow out any humid air and prevent those um, sort of microclimates from forming around the flower buds or the leaves. Right. Excellent. All right. And what about CO2? I know that, you know, a lot of growers kind of supplement their CO2. Yep. Yep. And CO2, you know, this kind of comes down again to, to basic plant physiology, the, the fundamental processes of photosynthesis, you know, carbon gets fixed a little bit of water and goes to sugar. Um, so obviously CO2 uh, enrichment helps to increase yield, right? Um, and we, you know, this is another thing that's not well studied in cannabis right now for the same reason as temperature. You've got to have separate chambers, separate rooms. Um, we've done uh, a couple of preliminary studies on CO2 going, you know, all the way up to 1500 ppm, something like that. And really, once you get up to about uh, a PPFD of a thousand, excuse me, CO2 concentration of a thousand ppm, you don't really get any more increase in yield. And going from ambient to a thousand, you might increase yield by about 30%, which is actually consistent with most other crop species that have been studied in response to CO2. Um, but the main component that that's affecting is the photosynthetic efficiency. There's just more CO2 available for the plants uh, to fix. Now, since we were just talking about interactions and temperature, CO2 is very much like humidity in that it can have indirect effects on temperature. So when the plants are in a high CO2 environment, uh, they close their stomates, the little pores on the leaves where CO2 goes in and, and water comes out. They don't need to have them quite as open because there's a whole bunch of CO2 outside. And what that does is reduce the evaporative cooling at the leaf surface. And so your canopy and your flower temperature gets hotter, right? Mm. So again, something, you know, I, I think it's great to enrich with CO2. We always do enrich with CO2. It, you know, reduces water use. There's a whole bunch of benefits to it. Um, but you've got to think about it in the context of all of your and other, all of your other environmental factors uh, to make sure that you're, you're co-optimizing all of them. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Mitch. Well, I definitely want to be uh, respectful of your time. We've already spent a lot of time talking about this, but, but yeah. before I let you go, um, so, I mean, we've mentioned that there's a lot of these different environmental factors and some of them haven't been uh, as well studied. What, what is it that you're working on now? What can, what can we uh, anticipate? Yeah. So I'm, I'm in my fourth year, uh, my PhD. So I'm hoping to get out of here soon. And I've got a lot of data on temperature that, that I think is going to be extremely valuable to the industry um, and that I'm really looking forward to, to getting out. Um, the other thing that, that we've done a lot of in our lab that's very unique is measurements of canopy photosynthesis. So we can watch plants fix carbon and respire carbon uh, continuously throughout the life cycle. And what that allows us to do is separate some of these four components and say, was this an effect on photon capture? Is this a direct effect on photosynthetic efficiency? So we can start to really pick apart these, these environmental factors. Um, but, but in my opinion, I think the biggest thing that's gonna come out is all of this, this temperature data. You know, I talk an anecdotally to growers and they'll say, 
yeah, we had a, you know, a string of hot days in the greenhouse and our cannabinoids went through the floor, uh, but there's just no, no data on it yet. Um, and so I, I think that's going to be, that's going to be valuable. Um, the other thing that we're doing is, you know, I talked about how this plant just loves light. It'll hog light all day long. We're, you know, we're trying to figure out where that upper limit is. We just did a study uh, going up to a DLI of like a hundred moles per day. And I, I think there have been some um, commercial companies some lighting companies that have done similar stuff, but we've got data that the yield continues to go up, up to 70, 80 moles a day, which is like 30% higher than anything you would ever see in the field. Um, Practically, you may not ever want to do that in your facility. It's expensive to get to 100 moles a day, but physiologically, there's a lot of interesting things that we can learn about uh, cannabis and use it sort of as a model crop to understand the limits of plant physiology. Excellent. So, well, that is that is exciting, and hopefully, um, hopefully, you'll have some data out, and you'll submit an abstract, and we'll see you present some of that at CanMed. Yeah, um, be great. So before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to share with the with the audience any ways to maybe get in touch with you or read more about some of the work that you've done. Please plug away. Yeah, um, we've got uh, my email address. I don't know if you can link this uh, with the podcast. Uh, it's mitchell.westmoreland at usu.edu. Um, you know, our lab for the past two or three years has been putting on an, an online cannabis class um, that's available to the public. You don't need to be a registered USU student. Uh, we're just getting ready to start the third edition of this course. We're still working out some of the details, uh, but if you're interested in that, uh, go to cannabis.usu.edu um, and that'll have all the information, um, registration details and things like that coming soon. Um, and then if, if uh, if possible, I can link some of our, our papers we've, we've looked at uh, phosphorus nutrition, uh, blue light. I mean, then I mentioned the, the UV light paper uh, that we can link here if, if anybody's interested in that. Um, but I'm happy to, to answer any emails, any questions that anybody has. Please feel free to, to reach out. Excellent. Yeah, and we will definitely link to those resources. That's, that's great. You guys have that, uh, that free course. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right, Mitch. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, hope to see you down in Canada next May. All right. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you having me on. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mitchell Westmoreland. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Advanced Nutrients. Our next episode drops October 18th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please like, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you use to listen to or watch us. Also, please check out camnetevents.com to sign up for email alerts to learn all about our annual Innovation and Investment Summit and purchase your ticket to CanMed24. You can also view videos of all our past CanMed presentations in the CanMed archive at canmedevents.com. I invite you to join our CanMed community group on Facebook to interact with other cannabis professionals. And of course, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, X, and Facebook. 
Just search for Cam at Events. All right, and that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to join us on the next Cam Ed Coffee Talk.